All right. Well, welcome, everyone. Welcome to all of our friends. It's good to see you all. Tonight, we have uh, special guests, Beth and Jim. And before we jump into our video and our discussion, Beth and Jim, can you let us know what your favorite food is? Well, I am with Angelina, and it's sushi for sure. And I'm with the pizza people. <laughs> Yay. Yay. Go pizza people. I love it. Very good. Okay. So I'm gonna share my screen and the audio. If for some reason you can't hear, you can't see, um, let me know and so that I can you know, figure it out and get you going. Um, so just a second while I figure that out. We need some like music, like transitional music, like Jeopardy yeah. music or something. You need a producer, Adam, to do that for you. Yeah, exactly. All right, here we go. Can everyone see that white screen? Yep, okay, cool. If you can't hear it, let me know, but you should be able to hear in just a second. The Book of Genesis. In the first video, we saw how chapters 1 through 11 set up the basic storyline of the Bible. God has created all things, and he makes humans in his image to rule the world on his behalf. The humans choose sin and rebellion, and so the world spins out of control into violence and death, all leading up to the rebellion and scattering of the people in Babylon. And so the big question is, what is God going to do to rescue and redeem his world? Well, out of that scattering at Babylon, the author traces a genealogy of just one family that leads eventually to a man named Abram, later known as Abraham. And God's promise to Abraham at the beginning of chapter 12 opens up a whole new movement in the story. God calls Abraham to leave his home and go to the land of Canaan, which God says will become his one day. And in that land, God promises to make Abraham into a great nation, to make his name great and to bless him. Now, th these promises are connected back to earlier parts of the book. So Babylon had arrogantly tried to make a great name for itself, and that didn't go over very well. But God, in his generosity, is going to bestow a great name on this no-name guy, Abraham. And God's blessing of Abraham echoes all the way back to that original blessing God gave humanity in the beginning. So the question is, why is God going to bless Abraham and his family? And the last line of God's promise makes this clear. So that all the families of the earth will find God's blessing in you. Now this is key for understanding the whole rest of the biblical story. God's plan is to rescue and bless his rebellious world through Abraham's family. And this is why the whole rest of the Old Testament story is just going to focus on this one family, eventually called the people of Israel. This is also why Israel will later be called a kingdom of priests at Mount Sinai. God wants to use them to show all of the other nations what he's like. And ultimately, this is the promise that gets picked up by the later biblical prophets and poets who say that its fulfillment will come through Israel's messianic king, whose reign will bring justice and peace to all of the nations. Now at this point of the story, none of that's clear. You just have to keep reading and watch the promise develop. And so the rest of the book focuses on Abraham and his family. First Abraham himself, then his son Isaac, and then his son Jacob, and then Jacob's 12 sons. And the stories about each generation, they're united by two main themes. So first, each generation of Abraham's family is marked by repeated failure. They just keep making really bad decisions that mess up their lives and that put God's promise in jeopardy. However, 
God remains faithful to them. He keeps rescuing them from themselves and reaffirming his commitment to bless them and bless the nations through them despite their failings. So the Abraham stories. God had promised Abraham a huge family, but on two different occasions, he's afraid for his life because other men are attracted to his wife. And so he denies that he's even married to her, which creates, of course, all of these problems. And not only that, Abraham and his wife, Sarah, they can't have children. And so Sarah arranges for Abraham to sleep with one of their servant girls, which also creates all of these problems in the family. But each time, God bails Abraham out. And in chapters 15 and 17, God even formalizes his promise to Abraham with an official commitment called a covenant. This is a classic scene. God invites Abraham to look up at the night stars and to count them. And he says, that's how numerous your family is going to be. And despite all of the odds, having no kids and no way to have any at the moment, Abraham looks up in the sky and simply trusts God's promise. And God responds by entering into a covenant with Abraham, promising that he will become a father of many nations, that God's blessing may come to the whole world. God asked Abraham to mark his family with a sign of the covenant, circumcision of all the male boys in the family. This is a symbol to remind them that the fruitfulness of their family is a gift from God. And so Abraham has lots of kids eventually, and he dies at a good old age. Now, the Jacob stories play out these themes even more dramatically. From birth, Jacob lives up to the meaning of his name, which is deceiver. He cheats his brother Esau out of his inheritance and blessing, and he does it by deceiving his old blind father, no less, and then he just takes off. He goes on to take four wives, even though he really only loves one, Rachel, and this creates all of these rivalries in the family. The only thing that humbles Jacob is being deceived by his uncle Laban, who cheats him out of years of his life. The tables have finally turned. And so it's a humbled Jacob that returns to his homeland. And in a very strange story, Jacob ends up wrestling with God as he demands that God bless him. Some things never really change, do they? However, God honors his determination and he passes Abraham's blessing on to him. And he renames Jacob as Israel, which means wrestles with God. Now, it's this last part of the book, the story of Jacob's sons, where all the themes come to a head. Jacob loves his second to youngest son, Joseph, more than any of the others. And he gives him this special jacket. And the 10 older sons come to hate Joseph. And so they kidnap him and they plan to kill him. But instead, they decide to just sell him into slavery in Egypt, where he ends up in prison. Talk about family failure. But God is with Joseph and he orchestrates Joseph's release from prison and Pharaoh ends up elevating Joseph to second in command over all of Egypt. And so Joseph saves the nation of Egypt during a famine. And he also ends up saving his brothers and his family from starving to death. And so once again, we can see the folly and the sin of Abraham's family is met with God's faithfulness, who subverts even the evil of the brothers into an occasion to save life. And this is actually what Joseph says right near the end of the book. He says to his brothers, you all planned this for evil, but God planned it for good to save many lives. Now, these words are strategically placed at the end of the book because they summarize not only the story of Joseph and his brothers, but the book as a whole. From Genesis 3 onward, humans keep acting selfishly and doing evil, but this God is not going to leave his world to its own devices. He remains faithful and determined to bless people despite their failures.
You can see this especially in how that mysterious promise about the descendant of the woman gets developed throughout the book. So remember, Genesis 3, God promised that this wounded victor would come and crush the snake and defeat evil at its source. And the author then connects this promise directly to the line of Abraham. This is a part of how God's going to bring his blessing to the nations. Now, from Abraham, this promise gets connected to Judah, the fourth son of Jacob. And this is how. In an extremely important poem in chapter 49, an aging Jacob, he's on his deathbed, he wants to bless his 12 sons. And when he comes to Judah, Jacob predicts that Judah will become the tribe of Israel's royal leaders and that one day a king will come who will command the obedience of all the nations and fulfill God's promise to restore the garden blessing to all of the world. World. And then after this, Jacob dies. And later, Joseph dies too. And the growing family remains in Egypt. And so the book of Genesis ends with all of these future hopes and promises left hanging and undeveloped. And it forces you to turn the page to see how it's all going to turn out. But for now, that's the book of Genesis. Okay, so now that you all have memorized the book of Genesis and know every single story, uh, Beth and Jim, I'm just curious to know, just seeing that for the first time, is there anything that strikes you or stands out to you from that video? Anything that really grabbed your attention? Well, things never change, do they? I mean, we always mess up, all of us, as much as we try not to, and God is always grateful to come to our rescue and get us out of whatever problem. I mean, it's not sometimes as quickly as we wanted, or it's maybe not the way we wanted, but in the end, he, he always comes to our rescue. Yeah. Beth, were you about to say something? Yeah, I, 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 had, I actually had not thought about the Genesis story as that that was the ultimate message of it. Because it's a really long one to read. It's a lot to get through. And it's a lot of drama there in the family. So it's a good read. But Yeah. You know, something that just stuck out to me is this idea of, like, humans do bad things. Like, we mess things up. And, but there's a danger in only focusing on that. What do you think happens to a person that's only focused on, oh, I, j I keep messing up. I just mess up. I'm always messing up. Is there a danger in always thinking that way of, of just focusing on the fact that we always mess up? Oh, absolutely. Because God made all of us. God made us perfect. So he knows that we can do well. But if you start to just internalize that all you can do is wrong things, you're not listening to God who mm. loves you more than anything. Yeah. I think that's important to point out because, you know, sometimes we can take messages and just internalize them and like think them over and over, like I'm not good enough or I'm always messing up. And, and I don't think that's the message that God wants, you know, to put, put across and put in us, you know? You know, um, I just, yeah. uh, uh, I'm doing, I do a personality work with P and G where I work and Enneagram and stuff. And I learned with the Enneagram, you know, nine types of people in general, that not everybody has that voice. It's kind of, I think about it, that little voice on your shoulder saying, 
Oh, that was really dumb. I can't believe you just said that. Blah, blah, blah. But how many people on the call do? Have you ever felt that little voice? And it's yeah. okay if you haven't. That's good if you haven't. Because I thought everybody had that, but not everybody does. Huh. So that's really good if you don't always have that in your ear. Right. You should yeah. listen to it. Right. Well, yeah. and it's funny, Adam. When I was younger, I felt like I was doing more things wrong than I was probably. And then as you get older and you learn more from the world, you discover, yeah, it was not nearly as, I wasn't the bad person I thought I was, or, or I wasn't doing as poorly. I actually was doing pretty well. But when you're young, I, I think you, you're too hard on yourself. Hmm. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Why do you think God keeps on loving us? Even we're when we... we're his children, Adam, and, and God loves his children. He loves hmm. all of his children, you know, and, and like you love your children and like every parent loves their children and you're always going to love your children, even when they don't do things you would want them to do. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, what helps the two of you, you know, it's, we do mess up. We do make mistakes. We are human. So what helps you just, you know, remember that even, even in the midst of making a mistake that you are loved, that you're not your mistake, that that doesn't, that's not who you are. That doesn't define who you are, that you are a child of God. What helps remind you that that's who you are and to just keep going and, you know, just try to bounce back and have a positive attitude. What, what are some things that help you? Well, when you're having your prayer and I don't know, different people pray at different times. Some people pray once a day. Some people pray a lot during the day, but just to, Thank God for loving you and say, I'm sorry that I did this today. I know that's not what you probably would have liked for me to do, but I did it, you know, and I'm not going to do it again, or I'm going to try really hard not to do it again, but I'm sorry, please forgive me. And I'm going to do better next time. Yeah. 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 For me, it's remembering being thankful about all that I do have in my life. And that makes me remember how much more God wants to give to me. Mm. Yeah, that's good. All right. So I have one more question and then I'm going to uh, ask you all to answer a question in the chat. But again, this is a very, very important question. What is the grossest thing you've ever eaten? I'm going to go with, it actually didn't taste that bad, but it sounds bad. We ate monkey on a mission monkey? trip. Monkey? What? <laughs> Look at Nora's head. Nora's like, what? No. Okay, so. I'm sure it me. wasn't a cute monkey. We didn't see it. <laughs> Why did you eat monkey? Well, we were on a mission trip to Honduras, and we were in the jungle, and the men of the community had to go out every week and hunt for the food that the people ate. And whatever they could find in the jungle, that's what they would get. And monkey was one of the things they could find and kill and bring back for the people to eat. And they shared it with us. Interesting. What did it taste like? Chicken. <laughs> no, not exactly. It was 
spicy. It was spicy. On. I wouldn't say it tasted like chicken, but it just, it really wasn't. They didn't tell us what it was till after we had it, but it wasn't hard to, I mean, when we were eating it, it was fine. Yeah. It wasn't, we didn't get weird about it until afterwards <laughs> when they told us what it was that we ate. That's probably best that they told yeah. you afterwards. Yeah. All right, so I do have two questions for uh, all of the friends on the call. You can put it in the chat. If you want to unmute yourself, you can and tell me. The first one's a yes or no question. So it's real simple. Um, do you guys pray? I'm curious to know. And it's okay if you say no. That's fine. Um, whoa. I'm going to ask this question in a second. But I, Will's answer to the thing that the disgusting thing that he ate is going to be very interesting here. But the question right now is, do you pray? And you, it might be like once a week you pray or once every few weeks, or maybe every day. Any answers? You guys pray at all? Yes, no, yes? Okay, we got a few yeses. All right, that's cool. We got two, two yeses, waiting on three more responses here. The next question is going to be the same silly question, is what is the most disgusting thing you've ever eaten? So if you wanna unmute yourself and say it out loud, or just put it in the chat, that's fine too. So Will said he ate shampoo once when he was little. Will, do you remember what it tastes like? Probably not. I remember it tasting exactly like how you think it tasted. <laughs> <laughs> Chemicals. Okay, yeah, I feel that. Uh, Alicia, the most disgusting thing for her is asparagus, mushrooms, avocados, and lots more. Oh, you don't like avocados? You can give me your avocados, okay? Give me your avocado. I love avocados. Oh, Nora too. I have to okay. give Beth my avocados. So. Oh, you don't like avocados? I oh, avocados. Oh, I, I like them when they turn into guacamole, but they have to have been turned into guacamole <laughs> first. Gotcha. All right, Nora said mushrooms. Ah, oh, I hear you, Nora. Mushrooms are so good. I like the t wait. Will you like mushrooms? That's cool. I like the taste of them, like in like dishes. Like eating a mushroom by itself, the texture of it. Ugh. Okay. Um, Anna said one time some got in my mouth. Oh, what got in your mouth? The mushrooms? Oh, probably the soap. Anyway. And Anna prays. That's good. Not often. Cool. And Anna said, I don't like a lot of things. So, okay. Cool. Well, thank you all for participating in that uh, lovely discussion about terrible things we should not eat or we should eat, but some of us don't like it. So this week, the challenge for you all this week and for myself included is to do what some of you already do is pray. And if you already pray, maybe try to pray differently or maybe try to pray a little bit more or just try to, you know, just do it in a kind of a, a new refreshing way. So try to think of a way that you can pray in a different way. And if you don't pray, try it. You know, when you wake up in the morning, it can be as easy as saying, God, thank you for this day. I'm thankful to be alive. And just that saying that out loud to God, uh, that simple sentence might just help you have a better day, might help you, you know, put yourself in a more godly uh, uh, way, got more godly path. So just try it. Before you eat food, you can pray. When you're having a hard time, when you're upset with your sister or your brother or your mom or dad or another you know, classmate, either virtually or at school, and you just frustrate it and you want to say something mean, maybe you stop and maybe you say a prayer. It can be a quick prayer. God help me. God be with me. And maybe that'll help, 
help you make a good decision instead of lashing out or something like that. So just think of creative new ways to pray and just pray this week. That's the challenge. Um, and also, if you want to go try some monkey, I don't know who sells monkey in Cincinnati, but uh, if you want to try Maybe out some new Jungle food, <laughs> Jungle Gems might have it. Yeah, that's right. So, and we'll be back next Sunday night. If any of you are near the church, I know one of you lives right down the street. Um, we're going to be outside at six o'clock in five minutes doing a little uh, worship outside. So you're welcome to come by and check that out. Otherwise, we'll see you next Sunday at 530. Thank you, uh, Jim and Beth. And thank you all. all thank of our you friends. for having us. Yep. We'll see you next time. Have a great week. All right. You Bye. too. Bye-bye.